Gentlemen, welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am your host. I hope you're having an awesome week. This podcast, if you're new to this podcast, it's dedicated to helping men discover the kind of man they want to become, uh, to regain their sense of duty and purpose. We'll have episodes with Pops, who's my father, and he comes on, and I ask him questions, and we talk about different things, and he offers advice and wisdom to young men. And occasionally I'll have a guest on to talk about you know, very different things. And a lot of times it'll just be me talking about a topic that I think is important to becoming a man. Uh, this podcast was inspired when my dad asked me, I was 23, I'm 30 now. I was 23 and I was feeling sorry for myself and my life was directionless. And I was like telling my dad all my woes. And he was like, son, what kind of man do you want to be? I was like, I don't know. And he, he said this line to me, I'll never forget it. He said, I would figure out what kind of man you want to become, and then I would pursue that with everything that you have. And for the last seven years, I've been trying to do that. And I felt like a year ago, I wanted to start a podcast to help other men on the exact same journey. So here we are. This is the Man I Want to Be podcast. In our last episode, I had my brother on, and we talked about a lot of stuff, and we covered a lot of ground. And uh, my daughter actually was on, my six-month-old daughter. She talked and she cried and she had a bottle. And, you know, that's another thing about this podcast. I, I don't edit it. I just let I just record and whatever happens, happens. And that's just, I prefer that style. Um, but to, one of the things we talked about in that last episode with my brother was responsibility. And I, I gave my working definition of responsibility. I said, or of manhood, excuse me. And I said, manhood is responsibility. That was my working definition. And I wanted to do an episode to kind of expand on that. And, you know, the reason I came up with that definition for a couple of reasons, oftentimes manhood gets conflated with like being macho um, or, you know, whatever, you know what, you know what I mean? The macho gym rat muscle guy rides motorcycles. And then there was almost like a revolt against that kind of masculinity and, the revolt was like, no, men need to be honest about their feelings and vulnerable and, you know, you, you know what I mean. And, you know, yeah, vulnerability is good and being honest about what's going on in your life is good. And you know what? Macho-ness is probably good. But neither one of those really, in my mind, are the essence of what masculinity is or manhood is. Um, and so when I think about what a man should be or could be and what a man does, responsibility is the thing that always comes to mind, which is why my working definition of manhood is is manhood is responsibility. And it's a working definition because maybe I'll change it. But for now, that's what I'm going with. So today, I want to talk about responsibility. Being a man means taking responsibility. That's what it means, you know, according to my definition. But before we even talk about responsibility, I want to talk about laziness. I want to talk about idleness. I want to talk about men not doing what they should be doing. And I don't think most men would consider themselves lazy or idle. Like, who would actually say that about themselves? Be like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm just a bum. Other, unless you're Rocky, I'm a bum. Um, but I do know from my own life and prior to realizing that manhood is responsibility despite my parents' best efforts to instill it in me, which they tried really, really hard and I was hard-headed. Um, but I know this from my own life and from talking to many other men and I have male friends and I've lived with many men and, you know, when I was a bachelor and um, I've, I just noticed many men struggle with some degree of laziness. 
We're starting off strong here. Starting off with an insult. We're all lazy. But hey, at least we're all in it together. Um, Now, when you think of laziness, we might think of laziness as like the teenager sleeping until 11, lounging on the couch lounging on the couch with our and our sweatpants and scrolling through the phone and we haven't showered in a few days and we do nothing all day and certainly that's laziness and there's probably a time of the year where that's a good thing to do is just lounge around um and there are actually men who live this way all the time and trust me they're not happy um but what I mean when I talk about laziness, I don't mean that, that degree. I mean, la- I, when I say laziness, I mean men who neglect their responsibility. Neglect of responsibility is laziness. And laziness, it robs men of purpose. It li- robs them of the natural drive that they have inside of them, that, that God-given drive for life. They lack a vibrant life. And even worse, when you start to take responsibility away from a man, he will begin the endless search for pleasure and for comfort to his own demise and then to the demise of those around him. It's what Theodore Roosevelt called the life of ignoble ease. It's neglecting responsibility. It's seeking comfort and pleasure only. And when you neglect responsibility, you tend to look for some sort of pleasure or comfort to make you feel something. And it's not honorable. It's uh, it's lazy and it's selfish. Um, it also makes men bored, and bored men are dangerous. A bored man ends a bored man ends up doing things that ought not to be done. He ends up in places where he shouldn't be because, again, he's not busy with his responsibilities and he's looking to feel something. And then on the worse end, you end up watching Netflix while having a few beers, like six, or scrolling through your phone and neglecting like your household and your wife. And, you know, we've all, we all kind of know the stereotypical guy on TV or we know a friend who's like that. Um, and then your life ends up in disorder. That's what neglect of responsibility does. It leads to laziness, which leads to disorder. And it's, it's not good. So consider this, there's this proverb, um, in the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Um, like think about this proverb. We're going to talk through this. Um, it's in Proverbs 24. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard. Sluggard means lazy. What a word. Sluggard. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then I saw and I considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So in this proverb, we've got a man who owns a vineyard, and this vineyard is probably how this guy makes a living. You know, he has the the grapes, he turns it into wine, and he sells the wine. That's how he provides for his household. Instead of it being like a well-kept vineyard so that the grapes, they can grow and they can flourish and make good wine, the ground is covered with nettles, which I had to Google. Uh, they're the little plants that you have to pluck up all over your The roots get everywhere, and uh, they keep the soil from... Allow, or they keep the vine from being able to dig into the soil. They take all of the nutrients out of the soil. Um, and it's got thorns everywhere that hinder the growth. And then the the wall, the wall has been broken down. And the wall is there to keep people from stealing the grapes. Um, it's also there to keep animals from coming in and eating the grapes. And then in the proverb, we get to laziness. Instead of cleaning up this mess, the owner decided, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to fold my hands. I'm going to be idle. I'm going to take a nap. Responsibility 
would have been tilling the soil, getting those nettles and those thorns out of there so that you had good soft soil so that the vine of vines could get down into the soil and take up all the nutrients and go grow good grapes. Um, fixing the walls so that the grapes wouldn't have been taken. This, this all would have involved a lot of work. It's responsibility. And because this man did not take care of his responsibilities, think of the consequences. Now he's not going to have a very good grape harvest, which means he's not going to have very much wine, which means he's not going to have much wine to sell, which means he doesn't have a good income. Now that means he's dependent on someone else who was responsible to take care of him and his household, which means if he has to have someone take care of him, he is a child. Children need responsible adults to take care of them. Laziness keeps you acting like a child. That's one of the reasons my working definition of manhood is manhood is responsibility. One of the differences between boys and men is their level of responsibility. And responsibility, taking care of responsibility, is the cure for laziness. And the life that you and I, the the one that we ultimately desire that makes us feel like a man, and you, I think we all know what it means to feel like a man. It's on the other side of us taking responsibility for lives. It takes us from being selfish uh, to people who can actually contribute. But uh, before we can even contribute, we need to start taking responsibility for our own lives. As Jordan Peterson says, this is like one of his most famous quotes, before you fix the world, start by cleaning your bedroom. Or there was that uh, video um, a few years ago. It went viral. It was um, a high-ranking military official. He gave a commencement speech at uh, at a college, and he said, "If you want to change the world, start by making your bed." And this video went viral. It was an amazing speech. It goes along with that personal responsibility. But re- responsibility is hard work. Um, it takes diligent effort every single day. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, again, we've got lots of Theodore Roosevelt, by the way. Uh, Another thing to know about me, I love Theodore Roosevelt. I admire him. He's a hero of mine. So he's giving a speech at Chicago, and he he says to this large crowd, I wish to preach not the doctrine of ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life, the life of toil, the life of effort, of labor and strife, to preach the highest form of success which comes, not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. Responsibility is part of that strenuous life that leads to the ultimate triumph of life. It makes you feel like a man. Ignoble ease will never get you that way. Seeking comfort will never get you that way. It will never make you feel like a man. And when we're talking about responsibility, you know, if we were to ask several people, I bet all of us would give us a different definition or different attributes. Um, I think it can be broken down into three basic categories or degrees of responsibility. And there's definitely overlap. And I, but I do think if we, we should break them down and we should look at the first, the second, and the third. And once we have gotten really good at the first, we can add the second and then we can add the third. We don't move from one to two to three, but we add them. They all go together. Um, so, uh, the three areas, the three degrees of responsibility, I, this is what I came up with. I call them proactive responsibility, reactive responsibility. And I didn't come, I didn't have a cool name that went along with that same theme. So I just called it outward responsibility or responsibility in the world. And we're going to cover each one of those three. So we'll start with proactive responsibility. Um, Stephen Mansfield calls proactive responsibility. He calls it tending your field. 
It's taking care of the things that are in your life that are already there. You take care of those first before you can grow your field, before you can add other responsibilities. There are several things every man already has in his life that he can begin to take responsibility for, to grow that responsibility muscle. So, for example, you've got your body and your health. You've got the space you live in. You have the car you drive. You've got your finances. You have your career or your workplace. And then you also have your own growth, your own temperament, and how you carry yourself in the world. If you're married, you've got your wife and your children. Um, Well, if you have children, you have a responsibility to them. And growing in these areas of responsibility, these proactive areas of responsibility, is, is pretty simple. And it comes down to, like I said, that daily diligence. Uh, Yeah, there's certainly hard work because daily diligence is hard work, but in essence, they're really pretty simple. Daily discipline to take care of these responsibilities will strengthen that responsibility muscle and it will prepare you for other responsibilities. Or as Jesus said, you know, oftentimes when Jesus talks, he's not giving advice. He's making statements about reality. And one of his statements about reality is, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with, faithful with much. If you're, responsible, if you're responsible with a little, you'll be responsible with much. Every time I get tongue-tied, that's what I do. I go, so that's what that was. All right, so we'll start here. I'm going to just take advice from the high-ranking military official in Jordan Peterson. We'll start here. We'll clean your room, make your bed. Every day, do it. Just like, just do it. Get your room and your household in order. Keep it clean and tidy. Wash the dishes in your sink. Come on, men. Wash the dishes in your sink. I know you can just leave them or whatever. Just wash them. And get this. I timed this the other day because I wanted to see how long it would take. If you clean your room every day, you just pick it up. Not deep clean. You just pick it up, put it in order. If you make your bed and you do the dishes, guess how long it will take? It's about 15 minutes. That's it. And you know what's funny? One of the things, because I a lot of times I do neglect making the bed um, or washing the, I, washing the dishes. Every once in a while, I, I neglect those. And one of the things I've noticed is I've tried to grow in responsibility is that I'm most lazy with the things that take the least amount of effort. Like I'll sit for hours and hours and hours and write a podcast and edit and think about what it should be, but then take 15 minutes to wash the dishes and clean the room and I'm like, ah, blah, blah. I just, I'm lazy. I'm lazy about the things that take the least amount of effort, which I find is so odd. Okay. So we're going to clean up our home. We're going to take responsibility there. We're also going to clean out our car because um, this is a place where other people will be. And it's good to clean out our car. It doesn't need to be like detailed, but like pick up the trash, make it so people feel comfortable when they ride with you. Again, something really easy. Next time you're filling up with gas, just grab the trash and throw it away. They have free trash cans right there. And actually, as I'm recording this right now, I realize I actually need to do this because I have gum wrappers all over the passenger seat of my car where my wife would sit if she were in my car. So I need to make take some responsibility. Yeah. I'm with you here. I'm preaching to myself. Also, I hope I don't come across as like I'm sitting on my high horse or my platform being like, rah, rah, rah. I hope that's not it. I am. This is the man I want to be. This is I want to be a man who's responsible. I'm here with you. So we've got these little simple things, but let's talk about an area where I think many men miss, especially as they get older and as other things become more important. Let's talk about your health and your body. Uh, And I'm going to use myself as an example because this is something I'm really starting to notice. I've lived, I've lived pretty healthy most of my life. Um, Actually pops next time he's on, he'll probably tell, 
he can verify this story. At one time when I was 17, I think, I, I told my entire family that I was the healthiest member of the family and they all laughed at me, rightfully so, because that is an absurd thing to say. And I was like, I'm the healthiest person. Get out of here, you arrogant little, you know. But anyway, I have always loved exercise and activity and I've tried pretty much every diet that you can think of, just a lot of times as an experiment. Like I've tried paleo, keto, whole 30. Keto is terrible. I know I get the under, the science behind it, but I, I did not like it. Um, but, you know, I've tried all those. I really, really liked a healthy lifestyle. But I noticed something after I got married, and especially when we had Noah, my health started to decline. Now, if you're one of the listeners who knows me and you hear that and you're like, oh, get out of here. You know what you're talking about. Just just go with me here. Just go with me. Um, how someone looks does not necessarily mean they're healthy. Um, and I have genetics from my fathers. I didn't ask for them. But um, I went from daily activity and discipline uh, to once a week, maybe. Um, sometimes even uh, not even that. And when we had Noah, especially, we weren't sleeping because we had a newborn. And you don't sleep when you have a newborn, ever. It's, it's kind of awful. It's like an adventure that's awful and fun at the same time. But because we weren't sleeping, my, my caffeine intake skyrocketed. And so did my intake of chips. Uh, I really like chips. I really like salty food. I'm not much of a sweets guy, but I really like chips and salty food and like you know anything that's salty and bad for you. I love it. Um, and it's amazing how fast I'd reach for junk food when I was tired. So I'm not sleeping. I'm eating junk food. I'm not exercising. Um, and instead of working out during the day when I could, I'd be, I'd, I'm too tired. And so I'd come home, but then I'd have hardly any energy to be with my family or to be present. And I was just kind of droggy. And this has really been present in the last month. I'm like, the other day I was writing in my journal cause I'm a journaler, you know, whatever I, um, as I was journaling, I was like, man, I'm just tired and it's cause I'm not taking care of my health. And this, there's like this odd dichotomy. The less I exercised, the less I took care of my health, the less energy I had. You'd think like I exercised, I'd be tired, but no, it actually for whatever, however it works, it creates energy. And because I didn't have any energy, I'd reach for things to give me quick energy, like caffeine and junk food, which made over time, gave me less and less energy until I was just, ugh. And I've really, like I said, I've really been feeling this in the last month. So I think it's really important that men, for the sake of our our families especially, but for our longevity, I think it's important that we really take responsibility for our health. Your health, how you take care of your body is one of the most responsible things you can do. It might seem like a small thing or maybe it seems less important, but over time, your health matters more and more and more. Health compounds in either direction, either in the negative or in the positive. Um, and too many kids have lost dad because dad didn't take care of his health. Like he didn't have the energy to play or even worse, like he, he died prematurely. Or wives have been robbed of a vibrant husband because husbands didn't take care of their health. Um, it's really, really important. And actually in the Bible, um, in the book of Ephesians, Paul actually he sort of writes about this. He says in chapter five, it's the marriage chapter. You've heard it at every wedding, every wedding you've ever been to. But he says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies for no one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it. Now, I don't think Paul was necessarily talking about going to the gym or eating good food, but I do think Paul understands that if we take care of our bodies, 
we can take care of our wives and our families way better. So take some responsibility for your health. I have not been doing this. Um, it was super easy when I was single. If you're single, take advantage of it. Uh, it's been more difficult now that I'm married with a child. It just seems like there's no time, but I know like on a longevity timeline, like a long timeline, this is, it's going to be more and more important that I take care of my health, um, so that I can be there for my wife and my kids. Uh, so to take responsibility for your body and your health, um, you don't need to go zero to hundred. You don't need to go to the gym six days a week and become a gym rat or anything like that. Um, I do think going to the gym is good, especially if it's a community based gym, like CrossFit. I'm a huge fan of CrossFit. If you can afford it. Um, I'm not paying for it right now. I wish I was, um, because CrossFit's amazing. Plus you get community, but you know what you can do? You can get enough sleep eight, nine hours. You should get enough sleep. Uh, you can eat real food, whether it's paleo or whole 30 or whatever, just eat real food as God made it. God did not design pizza rolls as delicious as they are. But as a general rule, whatever diet you choose, if you eat meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, a little bit of starch, no sugar, get outside, do something, that, that's good. A good way to take care of your health, a good way to be responsible for your health. Because this is proactive responsibility, that things that you can do that are already in your life that are going to have dividends for other parts of your life. All right, now, moving on, let's, let's talk about finances, Finances are another place where you can be responsible. You, we all need to be responsible with our money. <clears throat> you know, things like don't get into credit card debt, pay off the debt that you currently have, live on a budget, learn to tell yourself no with money. Um, financial irresponsibility is a huge problem in the good old U.S. of A. Uh, so is health. Actually, even in like I know people complain about our healthcare system all the time. We actually have a pretty amazing healthcare system. When you think about it, you can go to the hospital for pretty much anything. And it's odd that the greater our healthcare system has gotten, the worse our health has been. But we have the same problem with with debt. Um, America is unbelievably irresponsible with money. From the top down, our U.S. government has $30 trillion in debt, which comes out to like $90,000 per citizen. Guess who has to pay that back? We do. And I know you could go Google some economist that says national debt is not actually a big issue. And actually, it is a big issue because you have to pay those back. Um, do a case study on Greece and you'll see you have to pay back debt. But then we as citizens, individuals, we're, we're not doing much better ourselves. In America, we have a total credit card bill of $910 billion. Credit card debt, $910 billion. We also have $1.73 trillion in student debt, not to mention cars, mortgages, uh, hospital debt, you name it. We have an unbelievable bit, unbelievable amount of debt. That's a big problem. That's really irresponsible, and there's going to be repercussions for that. Most Mer- Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and they couldn't cover a $500 emergency if it came up. That's a big deal, especially if you've got a family and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you can't cover a $500 um, emergency to come up, that puts your family in danger. 
Now, and the, what you're going to have to do is swipe the credit card, and now you're going to just be even shorter on cash if you're already living paycheck to paycheck, and it's just downward from there. And so many people get stuck here. That's why Dave Ramsey's uh, work uh, at Ramsey Solutions with his Financial Peace University is so important. He's helped over 26 million people get out of debt. Me and my wife, we've got too much student debt. Like, my goodness. And so I'm like, I'm right there with you if you've got a lot. Um, and we're, we're paying it off this year. That's the goal. We're going to pay off all of our student debt this year. And we're, we're organizing our life to be able to do that because we want to be responsible with our money so we can take care of our family. And we also, we want to be free. We want to be free from debt. So I would like, as part of growing in responsibility financially, I would encourage you to take financial peace university. You can take it at a local church. It's a hundred dollars. It's one of the best things that you could do, or you could listen to the Dave Ramsey podcast. Um, but begin to start taking care of your finances. There's a proverb that says the borrower is a slave to the lender. And I know I don't want to be a slave. I'm sure you don't want to be a slave. And I know there's financial gurus who are all about debt. Like don't, don't buy it. Don't buy it. Um, your children and your grandchildren will thank you. There's another proverb that says a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. His grandchildren. A wise man leaves generational wealth for his children. That's what the Bible says. The proverb says a lot about finances and financial responsibility. This is my favorite proverb on the whole thing. It's in Proverbs 27. It says, A wise man knows the conditions of his flocks. So that is your financial situation. Remember, this is an agrarian society. Um, so a wise man knows this, the condition of his financial situation, especially his assets. And then it concludes with this wonderful line. If you maintain your financial situation with wisdom, there will be enough maintenance for maintenance for your girls. I love that line. Now that I have a wife and a daughter, I know how <laughs> girls are expensive and take care of them. They'll thank, they'll thank you for it. That, I, I love that. There will be enough for the maintenance of your girls. <laughs> uh, all right. So moving on. Again, we're still in proactive responsibility, things that you can do. Now, if you're married, you can take responsibility for the condition of your marriage. Is it flourishing or do you feel distant from your spouse? Responsibility in marriage, as much as I know in my 1.5 years, I hope you hear the sarcasm in my voice, as much as I know, um, responsibility in marriage is cherishing and it's nourishing nurturing your wife. It's going on dates. It's having conversations about your future. It's taking care of things around the house. It's contributing. It's listening to your wife and comforting her when she's having a hard time. One of the things I'm learning about marriage responsibility is when my wife is having a hard time, it's my responsibility to be present, to literally just to be there, not to listen and then walk away, but to, to be there. Um, and it's the same thing with your kids. If you have kids and kids be present, know what's happening in their life. And, you know, honestly, that's, I don't, I can't really say much about family responsibility and marriage. And because I've been married for one and a half years, um, and I have a six month old, so I don't know anything about raising kids and I don't know that much about marriage. Cause again, I've only been married for a very short period of time, so I can't speak with integrity, um, or authority on any of this. Uh, So we'll have to have somebody on who's been married longer and had kids and did a good job. But um, one thing I can say, though, and this is this is really, really important in in, um, your household men, 
like if you listen, if your your household is your responsibility, it is not the government's. It's not anyone else's. It's your responsibility. It's not your kids' teachers. It's not your the youth pastor at your church. It's not the pastor at your church. It's your household is your responsibility. So a quick thing on politics. In the 1960s, Lyndon Johnson in Congress passed several bills, and it was called the Great Society. And I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they were trying to do anything bad. I think they were actually trying to help. <clears throat> but there were some unintended consequences uh, from this legislation. These new laws that they passed robbed men of their responsibility. If a man got a woman pregnant out of wedlock because of this legislation, she'd get a check from the government. So instead of the man taking care of the woman and the child, the government would do it. And you know what skyrocketed after this legislation passed? Single mother households. And you know what the number one factor of generational poverty is? Single mother households. Also crime, school dropouts, drug use, and other destructive behaviors in children skyrocket in single mother households. In his book, Fatherless America, uh, the author, his name's David Blankenhorn. This book was written in the 90s. He tracks all of the statistics in America from this legislation to let us know what's going on. Why is America growing up fatherless? And that's just a few examples um, of having of men having their responsibility abdicated when the government decided to take over for it. When men do not fulfill their God-given responsibilities to their families and they expect someone else to do it, women and children are the one who suffer. Always. Your household is your responsibility. Don't neglect this. I, I know I just got preaching, but I could talk about that all day because I, I, you know, when you work in a church, you get to see some of the worst things that happen in single mother households. Man, I feel so bad for them because like they're trying to provide for their kids and they also have to raise them. And like when we had Noah, um, you know, I was doing everything I could, um, to help my wife. And my wife told me over and over again, I was like, she's like, I don't know how single moms do it. Like, I don't know how it's possible. So she, Shout out to single moms for for that. I'm sorry that you've been that your your significant other left you, but man, men, <laughs> your household is your responsibility. Take some responsibility there. All right, a couple more. I know we're covering a lot um, in the section on um, on proactive responsibility, but we're getting there. Um, all right, last one. You have a responsibility for your own growth and your own temperament. Growth is good. I think it's really important to grow, and we're all better off if we continue to grow. If we grow in knowledge and we grow in our emotional state, we grow in our spirituality and our, our life with God. Growth is good, but growth takes a lot of work. Um, you got to get outside your comfort zone into areas where you're not good at something in order to grow. And I often I hear a lot of men say like, "I just can't," or "I'm not good at," you know, fill in the blank. Well, yeah. Yeah, if, if you're starting something new in order to grow, you're going to be bad at it. But if you, you won't be bad at it if you keep at it. And you, like I said, you grow by putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, which means you're going to be in areas where you're not really already thriving. Growth, especially spiritual growth, will change how you carry yourself in the world. If you have a problem with anger and lashing out, that's a spiritual issue. That's an area of where you need spiritual growth because it'll... It, allow you to be able to control your temperament. <clears throat> you ever been around or seen a guy who just cannot control his temper? It's, it's, 
it's bizarre to watch. It's kind of sad to watch. So, for example, me and my wife, we were, for Valentine's Day, we went to Fogo de Chao. It's so good. You should go. Take your wife. It's so good. Um, if they walk around with a cart with um, really expensive liquor-looking stuff, don't buy it. We got um, we got a half ounce of, oh, I forget what it was called, cognac. We got a half ounce of cognac. And they didn't tell us how much it was. And we were like, oh, feeling fancy. It was $100. We're like, are you kidding me? It like doubled the price of our meal. But anyway, so we're at Fogo de Chao on Valentine's Day, and they're way behind. Like the the entire lobby was filled with people with reservations. It wasn't like just walk-ins. It was everyone had reservations. They were all they were really far behind. You know, so we're all just kind of in this together. You know, um, not ideal. We had to wait a long time for our table. But you know, while we're waiting, we you know we got to like just hang out and talk, and it was great. But there, we were next to this this guy who was there with his wife and his kids. And again, everybody's waiting. And this guy was pissed. And it was it was it was like he was the it was like he was acting as if Fogo de Chao was intentionally making him wait, as if he was the only person waiting. And man, he's he started lashing out at the hostess, and there's nothing they can do. And then his wife is asking him to like calm down because he's making a scene and he lashes out at her, which was super embarrassing for her. Kids were like cowering and they're like, oh, dad's angry. And kids don't like when dad's angry. And um, anyway, so, but this dude got himself so worked up and so angry that the, they finally just they're like, you know what? You can have our next table. So they sat him, but he was so angry. I could see him. He, he couldn't enjoy the dinner with his family. He just sat there like scowling while his family ate in silence. And I was like, dude, that if you have it, that's an area for spiritual growth right there. You need to learn to control your temperament. That's an area of responsibility. He, you know, he's spent all the time blaming the everyone else instead of taking control for his own emotional state. Men who are responsible take care of their temperament and their emotional state, their spiritual state. That's why I added this area of growth to responsibility. It's your responsibility. Growth does not happen by accident. Okay. So those are all the areas of proactive responsibility. It's taking care of the things that are already in your life that you can proactively work towards. Okay. So that's degree one, 34 minutes in, here we go there. I don't think the rest will actually take that long because that's a bulk of where responsibility is. <clears throat> now, if you remember, I said proactive responsibility, and then I also said reactive responsibility. And you might be thinking like, what the heck is reactive responsibility? And, uh, to, illustrate what uh, reactive responsibility is. I have a couple stories from my childhood to share with you. The first one was when I was four years old. So me and my friend Garrett, we ran up a hill behind our church and I thought it would be a good idea to start throwing rocks. Why did I think that was a good idea? No idea. I was four years old. I just liked playing baseball and maybe I thought the rocks were baseballs. No idea. And these, they weren't little rocks. They were big rocks. And I probably tried to get Garrett to do it with me because I always tried to get Garrett to do stuff with me that would get us in trouble. And I don't remember if he did it or not, but I'm the one who got in trouble. Garrett didn't. Um, And I got in trouble, rightfully so, because one of the rocks I threw shattered the window, the back window of a minivan. Went right through the whole thing, shattered the whole window. (laughs) And get this, the minivan just happened to belong to Garrett's mom. Like, great. I completely destroyed this window. It was so bad. And so at that time in my life, four years old, my parents had started giving 
me and my brother Colin an allowance. I think we got like $2 a week or something. And we had to split it between savings, between spending and, and giving, trying to get us to, to learn financial responsibility early. Uh, I wasn't a great saver, wasn't a great saver until I was like, I don't know, 27. <clears throat> but hey, I'm getting better. So I broke this window and after I had been adequately spanked, uh, <laughs> you know how you, there's some stuff you don't remember from a child, but, but some stuff you do. Well, I definitely remember that spanking. Mom got me good. And again, rightfully so. So after I got all that, um, mom and dad made me take my piggy bank with my spending and savings. They took me to Debbie's house and I had to walk up to the door and hand Debbie my piggy bank to pay for the window. I think she got like $6, but that was, that's what I had to do. Okay. You had to, as a four-year-old, I had to hand all of my money over to Debbie so she could fix her window, even though she couldn't have fixed a, she couldn't have done anything. She could have gotten a gallon of gas. Okay. Another time I was 16, just got my license and my dad decided to let me take his truck to school, which that's a big deal. I'm 16. I'm the, I was the oldest in my class. I have an early birthday. Um, and so I was automatically the coolest kid in school in my class because I had a car I could drive, but dad let me take the truck to school on one condition. Uh, no friends were allowed in the car. Only me. I could drive to school and I could drive home. No friends, no going anywhere. Now, obviously I wasn't going to follow that rule. I was the coolest kid in class. I had, I'd been waiting all my life to be the coolest kid in class and it had finally arrived because I had a truck and it, it, it just happened to be snowing that day. And, um, because I was feeling good on my coolness, I decided, you know, what? I'm going to drive my friends home from school. And so I'm driving my friends home, breaking the rules. And I'm like, I'm feeling good. And I'm like, I got, I've got to make sure they know I'm cool. And so I was like, what better way than to show off my fishtailing skills? Now, if you own a truck, uh, you know, fishtailing in a truck is really easy. It's also not a good idea. And I decided I was going to fishtail, not in a parking lot, but in a, on a neighborhood street with no sidewalks. And so I, I'm driving my friends home and I'm fishtailing, feeling cool, feeling liked. I've got friends for life because I'm doing this. And then I hit a patch of ice and I lost control of the truck. And we were only going about 10 miles per hour, not very fast, which made what happened next worse. It it was literally slow motion, truck out of control, brake all the way to the floor. Try, you know, And they teach it. You're on ice. Don't push the brake to the floor. The brake's all the way on the floor. We're sliding very slowly into a tree. I slid into a tree, and I hit it with the front right corner of the truck. It's like, great. So not only did I break the rules, but I hit a tree. It's like, God, not good. Fortunately, uh, the damage, it wasn't too bad. I didn't have to call anybody. So I backed out. I dropped them off, and I headed to pick up my brother Dylan from school because I had to do that before I went home. And during that drive to his elementary school, my heart's pounding. I'm trying to come up with a story to cover like what I'd done because I'm definitely not telling the truth that I had friends in the car and hit a tree. I'm definitely not doing that. <clears throat> so I came up with an elaborate story. And the, st- <laughs> the story I came up with was a hit and run. And so this is what I told my parents. While I was getting Dylan, I said, someone hit the truck and they drove off speedily and there was nothing I could do about it. 
Now you gotta remember remember what I said. It, I ran into the tree with the front right corner of the truck. So when I had parked in front of the school, there was no way for a car to hit, to hit the front front right corner because it was against the sidewalk, which was against the lawn. It literally could not have been hit. And so that that's what I I told them. And then I'm doing my best to sell this story to my parents, and this is so bad. I said. Why would someone do this? I'm trying to like fake tears. Why would someone do this? They should have just taken responsibility instead of driving off. I'm saying this about a story that I'm making up. I'm getting sad and angry about an imaginary person who didn't take responsibility to cover my failure to be responsible. So bad. I was such a liar. Golly. I doubt my parents believe me even for one second um, but they let me think that I'd fooled them, uh, like good parents do. And the next day pops picks me up from wrestling practice and I get into the car and he didn't say anything. All he did was hand me a small piece of wood. And I knew I instantly, I'm like, I'm caught, I'm done. <clears throat> and he goes, do you know what that is? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he goes, I pulled that out of the front part of the truck. And I was done. I was like, I don't know how long it took me to pay off my dad. And I had to confess the whole story. And I'm sure I was in trouble for a long time. I don't remember all of that. Probably because it was so traumatic. I don't know. Pops, I know you're listening. I hope you're getting a good laugh out of the story um, 14 years later. These stories are instances of when I had to take responsibility or I neglected to take responsibility for my actions. That's why I call it reactive responsibility. It's in reaction to when I did something wrong. No matter how hard we try, uh, no matter the effort we put in, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do something wrong. It's just going to happen. And when it happens, we have to make a choice. Do we take responsibility for the mistakes that we made? Do we take ownership? Do we take responsibility? And do we make reparations for, the, for it, like paying for the window? Or do we blame shift and avoid responsibility like I tried to do when I blamed the imaginary man for his imaginary hit and run on my dad's truck? And, you know, more often than not, I think human tendency, especially for men, is to avoid responsibility and to blame shift. You know, my mom was telling me a story uh, when we were talking about responsibility of a time that she had to take uh, Dylan to the courthouse to pay for a ticket. Um, And in front of them was a young man with his mom who had every excuse in the book as to why he was not responsible for whatever he had done. And I don't know what he had done. And his mom was like, no, he's not responsible. And, And, you know, blame shifting. Um, everyone else was responsible except for this young man. Have you ever witnessed that? You know, you ever see somebody who's blame shifting when you're the one doing the blame shifting and putting it on other people, it seems more reasonable. Like, how could I be at fault? But when you're witnessing it, it comes across very differently. Um, the first story in the Bible actually covers this very topic. Uh, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. You know what I mean? Uh, You know that story. So Eve eats the fruit that she's not supposed to, and then so does Adam. And then God asks Adam about it after they hide. So they're not supposed to eat the fruit. They both eat it. God asks Adam, why did you eat that? And I've always wondered, why not Eve? And I think it has to do with male responsibility, but it's another topic for another day. But God asks Adam, and the first thing that Adam does is he blames Eve and he blames God. (laughs) Not himself. (laughs) 
It's even God. And it, it, this is the phrase here. He actually says, the woman you gave to be with me gave me the fruit. Not Eve gave it to me. The woman you gave me. So he says the woman, he blames Eve. He says that you gave to be with me, he blames God. He blames Eve and he blames God. He can't take responsibility for what he did. And men, we have, uh, we've been doing that ever since. We blame others instead of taking responsibility for our actions. And often um, we do this when we haven't taken proactive responsibility. So there's the times when we mess up, we make mistakes, we blame shift. But there's also times when we start to blame shift for stuff in our life that we have not already taken responsibility for, those things we talked about in the first part of the podcast. We look at our lives. We know they're a mess. They're disordered. And instead of taking responsibility and changing it, trying to grow, we blame others. We blame the system. We blame our parents. We'll blame anyone except for ourselves. We'll blame our pastors. We'll blame literally anybody except take, as long as we don't have to take responsibility for ourselves. And then we turn ourselves into victims. But we're not victims. We're just not. We need to be humble enough to take responsibility for where we have failed to be proactive and when we've made mistakes. It's the manly thing to do. It's the right thing to do because manhood is responsibility. Let's take responsibility for our lives and for our actions. All right. Last degree of responsibility. So we've covered proactive responsibility, the stuff in your life that you can all you can take care of now. We've talked about reactive responsibility, taking responsibility for your actions when you do something wrong. And now this last degree of responsibility is being responsible in the world. And I'm talking about in your city, in your state, in our nation, in your community, in your church, in your children's school, wherever you are locally based, it's, we need to state as men, we need to take responsibility for these areas. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the podcast, I said, um, the three degrees, you need to do degree one and then you add the second, then you add the third. So once you've kind of started to take responsibility for your life and then you started to get in the discipline of taking responsibility for your actions, then you're ready to actually start being responsible for the world around you. Many times we skip one and two and we start, we try to take responsibility uh, outside in the world. And it's usually because of something else going on inside of us. We're trying to actually, we're, we're under the guise of responsibility. We're really blaming whatever's going out in the world. This is really, really common. That's why Jordan Peterson says, before you try to fix the world, clean your bedroom. Okay. So for this section, I want to start with a quote from good old Teddy Roosevelt. Of course, um, this quote I use in the bumper for this podcast. And I think it's one of the best quotes that men can memorize and actually really think on. Uh, because Theodore Roosevelt had, he had a really, I think, good insight on, onto how um, nations and communities function really, really well. Okay. So here's the quote. It's from the beginning of his autobiography. Justice among the nations of mankind and the uplifting of humanity can only be brought about by those strong and daring men who with wisdom love peace, but who love righteousness more than peace. Undoubtedly, collective power is essential to this end, but no exercise of collective power will ever avail if the average man does not keep his sense of personal duty, initiative, and responsibility. There's the word. There is a need to develop all the virtues that have their state 
the state of their sphere of action, but these virtues are as dust if the tender virtues of a family life, based on the love of one man for the one woman, and on their joyous and fearless acceptance of common obligation to the children they have borne. There must be the keenest sense of duty, which is responsibility, and it must go with the joy of living, because life is a gift. There must be shame at the thought of shirking the hard work of the world, and at the same time delight in the many-sided beauty of life. If you take this quote, um, and if you were to read it backwards and kind of think about it backwards, you'll see the things that we've talked about. He uh, Towards the end, he talks about man's responsibility to his family um, and taking initiative and how working out in the world while neglecting the family makes the work of the world like dust. That's what he says. You can work really hard in the world, but if you neglect your family, your hard work in the world might as well be dust. And this is from a guy who is president. Okay, so Theodore Roosevelt was president of the United States for seven and a half years, not eight, because he became president after um, President McKinley died and he was vice president. <clears throat> um, he did a lot of really good work in the presidency and his political life. And even that, he said, this is as dust if I neglect my family, if I do not take care of my family. And here, here's why this is important. Um, the work that you and I do in the world, rarely does it last more than our lifetime. Um, that's, that's just true. Unless you're like in really high positions of power, most of us are just going to be everyday normal people who are, who do our work really, really well, um, to advance whatever our organization is trying to do or whatever we start. But our families are generational. If you neglect your family, that goes generational. Um, you know, we, you can look at this statistically, men who are not at home, there are generational effects to children and then to grandchildren. And after that, and after that, and after that, um, and the, the Bible, uh, Christianity calls it generational sin is what they, as they call it. It's the effects of what happens when, um, families are neglected. It goes generationally. It lasts longer, <clears throat> but our work is usually only what happens in our lifetime. Okay, so there's that portion of it. But at the beginning, um, he says, I want to focus on two lines from this quote. One is at the very last line of the quote, but then I want to go back to the beginning. So here's the lines. There must be shame at the thought of shirking the hard work of the world. And then at the beginning, justice among the nations of mankind and the uplifting of humanity can only be brought about by those strong and daring men who with wisdom love peace but who love righteousness more than peace. Undoubtedly, collective power is essential to this end. Now, we could spend a lot of time looking at individual words and the structure of the sentence, but the work of the world is hard. And I think you could take a look at the news right now. I don't, it doesn't even really matter where your political leanings are or your cultural leanings or whatever. You could look at what's going on, and it seems like it feels kind of like it's climaxed, like everything is nuts and crazy. And it's easy to look at it and be like, well, there's nothing I can do. So then turn it off and you shirk the hard work of the world. Um, and we go back to living our own lives. But, yeah, gentlemen, we can't do that. We need to take responsibility where we are. And, look, you, you know, you and I, um, nah, well, before I get that, like, I think if we were to look at the news right now, look at what's happening in our world, there it doesn't seem like there's justice among mankind. Up, humanity does definitely does not feel like it's uplifted. There's definitely no sense of peace. There's no, there doesn't seem to be righteousness anywhere. Righteousness just means as one ought to be in right standing um, with other people and in the community, it, like morally upright. That's what righteousness means. And I don't see that 
in very many places at all. And I think we can all kind of look at it. We feel it. And none of those same things seem to be present. And if you notice in the middle, it says those are brought about by strong and daring men. And so for Theodore Roosevelt, it was strong and daring men who take responsibility in the world. Um, and that's what will lead to justice among the nations and the uplifting of humanity. If we shirk that hard work, it just won't happen. And look, you and I, we probably can't fix the world. Like, probably not. Um, actually, we know that you can't. You get the highest levels of power in society you want. We, we can't fix the world. The world needs a savior. Um, as much as we want just systems and just economies and just markets and just politics and all of that stuff, uh, we are limited as human beings because we are all inherently sinful. And so there's all, there's only a measure of what we can do, but we should still strive for what we can do because it's better for it to be close to good than for it to be really, really bad. Okay, But we may not be able to fix the world, but what we can do is we can be responsible in our local communities. I'm talking in, if you have kids in your kid's school, you can do it in your church. You can do it with local nonprofits in your business and in whatever you do for work. You uh, in your local politics, you can do all of those things. If we if we get in our local community and we we do things responsible, if we take responsible for the outcome of the places we live, um, things are going to be better. And he says, Theodore Roosevelt says in this quote, collective power is essential to these ends, which means not one person cannot do it. It needs collective power. It needs men everywhere taking responsibility for where they are. And if men everywhere take responsibility for where they are, now you actually have a nation and a city and a state that is that is is run justly and righteously and, and people flourish. And we all have to take responsibility where we are. And right now, you know, this is just one, one zoom in real quick on one thing right now. Um, we are in a time when it seems like bad people are just trying to take over all of our institutions. That's just, that's what it feels like. Um, and good people are starting to push back and they're saying no. And that's really the big thing that you can do. You can say no. If you say no to bad stuff, good stuff is bound to happen. Um, but in COVID, I want to talk about COVID real quick because it's it's had a lot of fallouts and it was a really hard time for everyone. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've all got our thoughts on COVID. Um, I definitely have all of my thoughts on COVID and all that happened over the last two years and all that kind of stuff. It was a really hard time um, in the world. But I'm starting to see one of the good things of COVID. And one of the good things that happened is, is actually kids had to be homeschooled at home, which I know wasn't really good for their learning. But one thing that was good is parents got a, an insight into what their kids were be, being taught in school, and they did not like it. This is across the nation. They did not like it. And parents who had entrusted their children to teachers to and to school systems to teach their kids math and reading and science and all that kind of stuff were finding out that their kids were being indoctrinated into several different things, and it really angered a lot of parents. I mean, in San Francisco, they just recalled three board school board members in Virginia. They're doing stuff like all over the nation. Parents are getting more involved in their kids' schools because again, it's parents' responsibilities for raising their kids. It's not the schools. Um, and these are parents who are taking responsibility for their local community. It's a good thing. And I, I'm trying to see that is one of the good things that came out of COVID is parents getting re-involved in the education of their children through school systems and PTAs and school board meetings and all that stuff. That's one example. 
but we can all take responsibility in all in sort all sorts of other places um you know in our local communities <clears throat> and yeah it's 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 hard work and trying to make sure justice happens and humanity is uplifted that's a lot of work most of us aren't lawyers like how do we affect justice and we've got our day jobs and families and lots of other responsibilities what are we to do like you're right yeah we we have a lot uh, but we cannot shirk the hard work of the world. We've got to take responsibility for our communities where we are. And if we won't, like, who will? I've read enough history. I do love history, so I end up reading a lot of history. And I've read enough history to know that evil advances in the world, and it takes over communities when good men neglect to take responsibility in their local community. And we can't rely on government officials to do it for us. Now, they play an important role. Don't get me wrong. We need good people in government and good people in all over. But we can't rely on them to do it for us. We have to take responsibility for our community. And we can't just let a few men try to do it for us either. We need collective power. We need all of us in this looking, taking responsibility for our communities to make them just and upright and good and so that they flourish. It's our responsibility to do that. And I think if we as men start to take responsibility for our lives and then responsibility for our actions, then we're actually positioned in a place with our character that we can actually be entrusted to take responsibility for the good of our community. And I do think that's important. Okay. So we've covered proactive responsibility. That's taking responsibility for your action or excuse me, taking responsibility for the things that are already in your life. We've covered reactive responsibility, which is taking responsibility for your actions. Um, and then we've covered responsibility in your local community. These three things are important because again, manhood is responsibility. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you did like this episode, please share it with a friend or two or three, um, and then leave us a five-star review that really helps us out with getting the word out, with getting this podcast out. If you didn't find this podcast beneficial, well, pretend you didn't listen, and uh, I'll, I'll appreciate that too. Until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.